Previously on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. He said to me, he goes, do me. And I was like, oh man, uh, you know, I feel pretty good uh, this morning. You know, my back feels good. And, uh, but the conditions are really, really tough out there. And he kind of, he just looks at me and goes, fuck, dude, you sound just like me. <laughs> he also said to me, he goes, dude, you're Conor McGregor. I was like, listen, Tiger, I'll slap the face off you. Keep it up. You know what I'm saying? I'll commit to the golf game. I'll take the whole fucking thing over, brother. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he was like, damn, that, that dude is tough. And then COVID hits. And I go from kind of Oprah Winfrey show to uh, a guy like doing hostage videos in his, in his apartment. Yeah. I was literally, I may as well have been just vlogging. I'm asking people to stay positive very, very soon. We'll be able to That's go back up. The, the wet pubs will open. And when they do, <laughs> never will so much be drank by so few. That is <laughs> one of your best. <laughs> well, that's just a little throwback to a previous episode of the series that you may not have heard. Uh, the man of many voices, uh, Mr. Connor Moore. So many impressions, so many great stories, and so much genuine fun during our chat. If you haven't heard it, make sure to listen back. And if you have already heard it, sure, give it another spin. It was really, it was a really good episode. But of course, only after you've listened to all of this episode, which will have another brand new and exclusive comedy sketch uh, to listeners of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. And also a deeply interesting chat with one of Ireland's most compelling journalists, and she would be Larissa Nolan. Larissa is a good friend of mine and was previously a friend of the Sunday Roast, the show that I hosted on Today FM. In fact, myself and Patrick used to say she was kind of the soul of the show, of the show um, because her views kind of fell into a place that we thought reflected a kind of a tone of the show that we thought um, was, was a winning tone. And she has in the past been a winner herself of the Popular Journalist of the Year Award in Ireland, for she is a brave, at times controversial, highly intelligent and incredibly hard-working writer. Not only does Larissa hold very strong opinions on big issues like cancel culture, the left-right divide, Ireland's notorious COVID lockdowns and much more, but crucially, her opinions are based on long and quite well-thought-out deep research into the issues. They're not just designed to be hot takes or to create heat or controversy and get Twitter talking. And of course, on top of all that, she's a first-rate communicator. It's not the tyranny of the majority at the moment, it's the tyranny of the minority. Mm. I think it's an incredible shame that we're living in an era that those small, radical, unkind people who have malicious natures are getting to rule what, how the rest of us live. In the last year or two, you'll see a million columns on people saying, isn't cancel culture terrible? By often the very people who said absolutely nothing uh, while it was building up and being allowed to go on. I really think that we have let this happen. And uh, we did blood tests and the usual things. And she just said, I think it's very obvious that you're burnt out. And one of the reasons that she knew that was because of the speed at which it happened. And if I'm to kind of sum it up, it was like I lost the belief in what I was doing. See, what, what am I doing wrong, <laughs> Larissa Nolan? I'm, I'm I don't know, Fintan, because you win the same award every single year to the point it's now called the Fintan no, 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 Award. No, 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 that, so you're that, doing pretty well. No, 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 that, that's just, just, just... Stick around for my conversation with Larissa coming up very shortly. But before we meet Larissa, it's time to meet a new member of the Mario Rosenstock podcast that I'm absolutely delighted to introduce you today for his debut performance. Um... The world is a very serious place right now, as we know. There are some major issues to get our heads around. So big that they can be hard to understand. We hear so much back and forth and so much argument. Uh, We need creative and powerful communicators uh, to sometimes bring the point home to us. 
Spoken word poetry is fast becoming a brilliant way to break down the issues and channel the anger and emotion at the injustices we're facing in the world today. Speaking truth to power, uh, etc. and letting us know the deep reservoirs of emotion um, that can be communicated on any given issue, very important issues of our day. So I'm delighted to intro... um, um, uh, this gentleman. His name is Spoken Word Steve and today he's going to comment on an issue that quite frankly haunts us all. You're right. No. Why? It's dying. What's dying? This is dying. Why do you think I'm crying? It was 10% and now it's nine. My phone diminishing in power. Minute by minute, hour by hour. For you, no flattery. Low battery, rat tat tat tattery phone. Pogue Mahone. Leave me alone. Bereft. Your power left me, I moan. And three, and Meteor, and Vodafone. Hell bent. Extracting your monthly rent from me. Now down to 7%. You were in my hand, hot to trot. I charged you a lot. Conversations, bland but grand. On demand, at my command. Now, canned. It was as if you planned your power waning away in my hand. You're right? No. Is this how you get your kicks? Whittling, frittling my battery away down to six. No, no, don't go. Don't leave me down now, now. While the sun shines, stick around and laugh a while and text. My little iPhone, Pally Wally, created, gestated, and now slowly terminated by wankers in Silicon Valley. You keeping me barely alive. Percentage now down to five. This little block horror shock. It's in the red. Wrecking my head. I afraid to text Insta. No, no, notifications red. Just a little bit more, please. Poor, please. Let me roar, please. Down the phone once more, please. Let me be me, selfie, the regurgitatory narcissicity of the percent on my phone, which now is three. It's about to tank this little piece of mank without even a shitty charger or power bank. Woohoo! It's down to two. You, YouTube app, and me, the sap. They said, they said, approaching now, brown bread, one percent. One last video of a cat standing on its head. You right? Dead. Well, how can you follow a performance like that, really? The hairs are, hairs are standing up on my arms. Um, and it really is high time that issues like that were called out and the anger of people truly, truly expressed. Um, and hopefully, if, if Spoken Word Steve does us the honour, we'll hear more from him in the coming weeks. 
right here on the Mario Rosenstock podcast, which, of course, is supported by our good friends in Curry's PC World, as usual. Um, their support, along with your support, um, when you follow or subscribe, rate and review, which I hope you do today, um, give us a review, give us a rating, means that we can bring you great interviews and exclusive comedy for free every week. You don't have to pay, and we greatly appreciate it, because myself and Patrick are having so much fun doing it. So it's time to meet our special guest today on this episode. We really get stuck into some big issues in this chat, Larissa and I, cancel culture, the toxic left, burnout. Um, But we also, of course, have some great laughs, particularly when Larissa has to deal with some tricky calls from people like Blind Boy Boat Club, the great Fintan O'Toole and Owen Harris. I think you're going to love this one. Here we go. Larissa, thank you so much for joining me on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. For those of you who don't know out there, Larissa used to regularly appear on Mario's Sunday Roast. And in fact, I may not have even told her this in the past, but I believe she was the soul of Mario's Sunday Roast because she struck that kind of tone that was very interesting between the left and the right. She was kind of in the center, but with a pragmatic common sense that kind of called obvious stuff out. So Larissa, great to see you back. Thanks, Mario, for having me in. No worries at all. Now, can I tell you something, Larissa? Um, Because I know you can contribute about this because you, you sent me an email and we saw the, the notes in it and I know you can talk about this. I'm burnt out. Now, I'll tell you what that means. It means that I've never been really burnt out before. I've been exhausted. I've been tired. Um, I've recovered. Um, but for the last three months or so, I've noticed something different is happening to me. Mentally, I feel burnt out. And what that means is that I can't recover. Um, I can't recover when I get three brilliant nights sleep in a row. Uh, and I feel tired again by midday. And this is completely unusual for me because one of the benefits of being me is I have enormous reserves of energy and I always have. Mm. And I feel that I've reached the end of my tether, kind of mentally, uh, yeah. not physically. I can still play tennis and all this sort of stuff. I can still go for a run. I can still walk 10K. It's mentally, I'm mentally tired and I'm mentally given up. And I believe it's because of what I've experienced over the past year and a half and the cumulative um, attrition mentally that I've experienced. Mm. And and I believe in you. this is something you brought as well, up as well. Yeah, I was really surprised about it, actually, because I have in the last 12 years, I have been diagnosed. If that's, I don't think you can actually be diagnosed with burnout, but I have been told that I'm, I had burnout twice over uh, since 2009. And back that in the other previous times, it hit me in that I felt one morning waking up like I was a block. I couldn't move. I was that exhausted. I just needed to sleep. It was more physical than anything else. But um, so I didn't see this one coming, actually. But that's the issue with burnout is that those of us who suffer from it or have a tendency to to go into burnout don't see it coming because we're going so fast and we're we're pushing the foot down in the escalator. It's subtle, isn't it? Accelerator. Yeah, yeah. It, you it, don't see it, it's though. It's quite subtle. It sneaks up on you. It's like the way people used to describe um, gambling or alcoholism. Yeah. That you don't really see it coming. And suddenly it's there. And you f- symptoms include um, symptoms include uh, being a bit f- confused, a bit irritable, um, a kind of a bit numb. Distracted, I think. Distracted, as well. numb. Yeah, uh, yeah. Lack of focus and, uh, and, and a bit, I don't give a shit. That's, a little bit of that as well. That's uh, all those things. So this is, this is, I didn't see this coming because, uh, as I was saying, you're, you keep on going and then it suddenly, wham, it hits you, right? So here's how it happened for me. Exactly this time what you're saying. It wasn't physical, to be honest, because um, I'm perfectly able to, to move around the place and feel quite a lot, a fair amount of physical energy. It was completely mental. And I didn't really know what it was, except that um, I woke up one day and I had this really strong sense of just disillusionment. 
that was that was how it's how it started. And over the course of, I would say, maybe even 48 hours, that had moved on to a kind of a cynicism and then a, a sort of a cynical self-scorn where I was going, what, what's the point of you? What's the point? What are you doing? And then I moved on very, very quickly, descended into uh, nihilism. Is that how you pronounce it? Or nihilism. And suddenly it was like nothing mattered. Nothing was important. Now, that's a very quick um, descent in a very short space of time. Um, so I went to the doctor because it's not something I'd normally do. I think the fact you're even going to the doctor with nothing overtly wrong with you is probably a warning sign in itself. And uh, we did blood tests and the usual things. And she just said, I think it's very obvious that you're burnt out. And one of the reasons that she knew that was because of the speed at which it happened. And that kind of complete shutdown going from having huge energy and and huge enthusiasm for what you're doing in life and huge belief in what you're doing. And I think that's actually what happened. If I'm to if I'm to kind of sum it up, it was like I lost the belief in what I was doing. Mm. That's that's where it came from. Just ran out. Yeah, that's right. Um, The reason I'm saying this as well is because you said this to me in the notes and it struck a chord with me because this is what's been happening to me for a couple of months. And I'm guessing it's happening to a large amount of the population. And it's one of those things that probably none of us will talk about because it's just just get up and get on with it. Yeah. We're all going through this together. Just get on with it. Yeah. As the, as the fellow on the radio says, the, the politician, these are challenging times, Pat. They are challenging times. I'm sick of those fellas, you know. Yeah. And uh, some TD called Niall. Challenging times, he'll say. And uh, and and, you know, yes, they're challenging times, but like. This is part of the mental, if you like, the mental health cumulative uh, 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 problem that has developed over the over the last while. And it's it's big. It's big. Well, I, I think we couldn't have seen this coming. If someone was to say to me, what do you think will be the outcome of, you know, us being the most locked down country in the free world, having shut down everything for the first half of uh, 2021? I mean, I knew it was going to be chronic, but to be honest, I thought we were all, go- all going to emerge mad alcoholics. I was just thinking we'll all kind of come up from from the swamps, um, you know, totally um, drinking our faces off and gone into complete lunacy. But it seems to have been this thing, this, this burnout effect, which, you know what, the funny thing about the word is it makes it sound like a really small thing but it's not a small thing at all when you're completely questioning <laughs> your whole existence in life and your meaning you know your your meaning in life is quest- is questioned well what I think it. it is you raised another issue there which which I think I find you very interesting on as well and that is your lockdown stance so tell people who are listening um, I mean you are a mainstream um, Irish um, columnist Popular columnist of the year. At one stage, yeah, I'm still thinking Last year, that. popular columnist of the year. Um, Sunday Independent regular, Sunday Times regular, all over the, 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 the national mainstream newspapers. But you are a, you, you, you have kind of fastened, you, in, you have fastened onto your own opinion, having looked at all sides of it, a very, very strong anti-lockdown stance. Yeah. Tell me where you're coming from. Um, well, I'm anti-lockdown, um, obviously, at this stage of the pandemic and have been since, uh, for I'd say, probably for the last year. Uh, it's al- I think it's always really important to say when you're explaining how anti-lockdown you are. And I am extremely anti-lockdown. I think you'd be hard to find a journalist more than I am but uh, in, in the mainstream media. But, uh, you know, it, I think it's always important to say 
there is a time and a place for lockdowns and yes. they should only be used in my opinion and this is the opinion of somebody who has been working only on COVID for the last 18 months uh, full time 52 weeks of the year so I, I know a fair amount about it um, but they what it seems to be from all that research I would say that there is a place for them there, the place for them is at the acute stage of the emergency not at the chronic or the ongoing stage of the emergen- emergency um, because the harms are there and the harms are being uh, um, completely deprioritized and dismissed, actually. Um, so they were obviously, I suppose what I'm trying to say, Mario, is in the beginning, this made sense. We had this new va- virus. We didn't know anything about it. We needed time to get ready to, um, you know, to get hospital beds and all these things we needed and to, you know, you, you shut down everything. And that is, is, in my view, justified at that particular point in time. As the virus goes on, as we learn more about it, as we went into a situation where we developed vaccines and all these different kinds of things, this idea of completely shutting down society and totally ordering the shuttering of commerce is, to me, absolutely unconscionable. It's it's something that was just should never have been done. We had a, a setup where we had shops where you had um, uh, limited numbers you had hand washing on the way in, you had masks, you had plexiglass, you had tap cards, you had everything there to ensure that people could come in and out and buy things and and life would remain somewhat normal in people's heads. All those things were put in place and it was deemed, as far as I'm concerned, for bureaucratic reasons to ensure that nobody in government got the blame to shut all these things down anyway. And I think that the people took the pain of that so that the politicians didn't have to take the blame. And that's why I have a a problem with lockdowns. It isn't advised as a long-term strategy. And yet we were the ones who ran it from, what, December all the way through. We're still kind of only lifting up from it now. For a good half of the year of this country, this country was allowed to shut right down and all those hidden harms that can't be quantified were all allowed to happen because everything became about COVID. And, And to me, that's just wrong. It's actually just morally wrong. Yeah. Uh, why did why were we the most locked down country in the world do you think I mean first of all as a person who's looked into this uh, um, it's fair to say we pretty much were in Europe weren't we We maybe the world we were like the other countries that were only more locked down than us didn't have freedoms in the first place to speak of so for for example the likes of Eritrea where the regressive government is a human rights crisis they were one of the only countries on a global scale that were more locked down than us so why here why did it happen what were the convergence of situations that um, that resulted in us being, you know, in the centre of Europe, yeah. if you like, or in the centre of the European community, to being the most sort of locked down, a far out there sort of a bit of an outlier. I mean, it's fair to say we were an outlier. We were definitely an what outlier. What made us an outlier? Um, OK, so I have, a, I have a few theories on this and they probably all come in together, but it's kind of it's political, it's psychological, it's cultural. It's all those things coming together. Um, so what I, what I would say is one of the major this is just my own theory, but I think one of the major reasons why is that we are a religious and pious nation and we love the hair shirt and we, we think of sacrifices as, as, a, as a great thing to do. Um, it makes us feel good about ourselves. And I think that we are a country that is 
still a Catholic country. We've removed the Catholicism from our lives and told ourselves that we're brilliant and we're progressive and God, we're so forward thinking. And imagine we were into all that religion stuff. But there's a vacuum there. And I think in the vacuum, it was the cult of COVID. The Church of COVID came in and everybody could worship at the Church of COVID. And in fairness, you had Neffet up there acting like the new bishops and everybody said, oh, we better, better say and do exactly what these infallible people tell us to do. And to be honest, in the last while, uh, we have gone back to a situation where any kind of critical thinking or independent thinking is immediately cast as, you know, you're ahead the ball, you're a conspiracy theorist. Um, anti-vaxxer. You're, you're, you're all these kind of, yeah, or, you know, if, even critical thinking at all, though, is anti-establishment now. And yeah. anti-establishment isn't good anymore. What's really, really, what's really sick about this is, <clears throat> re, I mean, one of, the, one, one of the tenets of science is to question. Yeah. Yet... We have been led by science, which has proposed itself as unquestioned. Yes, exactly. So what, what, how can you possibly explain that, mm. except that it has become a kind of a religion That's right. in itself? Science that isn't questioned is, religi- is religiosity. That's it. Yeah. So, we, I mean, we went into zealotry here. That's, mm. that's what I believe was. I mean, there were certain things, for example, uh, I would say particularly this, the role on antigen testing, the role that rapid testing could play, the idea that personal responsibility when it came to healthcare was completely, that idea was, oh no, we can't trust the people. They'll do it wrong. Well, where other countries... They'll, no, and worse, they'll do it wrong. They'll cheat. As in, they'll, they'll try and use the, the... They'll dicky the antigen test. So this was very much part of it. On national radio, and it is on national radio and television, but, but Miriam, Miriam, people are, can't be trusted to do the antigen tests. Why, they'll get them wrong? No, but Miriam, if a fella didn't want to get it right, sure, he can fix the result. <laughs> yeah, and then so there was fool yourself, like, who oh, are you going to be fooling? Exactly. Like? Yeah, yeah, but this is the thing is, and it's, it's a lack of trust in people as well, I think, but it, it seems to be some sort of... Like, you know, at the risk of sounding somehow that I've made up, you know, this is a conspiracy theory. I don't think it is really. There's a class system operating here as well. I think you're too used. You're too used to telling people, sorry if I sound like it's a conspiracy theory. There's so many times that if you say anything now that is beyond exactly what you're told, uh, you know, people would say, oh, well, where did you come up with that? And where's all your evidence base? But actually, the evidence base is in my head. Okay, let's just, for people who are listening (laughs) and then think, oh, I'm feeling a conspiracy theory rolling on here now. You don't need a theory in this day and age. It's actually just a conspiracy. Maybe I'll just remind people where I'm coming from. I am absolutely pro-vaccination. You don't have to be, um, you know, a scientist to know that vaccinations have been um, a, a hugely successful part of man's historical medical um, history. Look at polio, for example. Um, a, a huge success story. I am in favour of certain lockdowns, especially for the vulnerable. Um, I believe in the power and good of government. And I believe that all people in government are not evil and they're not corrupt. And I believe there are great people in government and I believe there are great people in public health. Um, however, I do believe that everything needs to be questioned and everything must be questioned for us to proceed as a civil democratic society. So that's just a, a little interruption. There. Yeah, but, but you're right. You're right. And labelling, you can also disagree with all those things, maybe. And I don't dis- I actually would disagree with you on a lot of those things, but then we could be here all night. But like you can you can um, you can disagree with those things and still understand the importance of allowing people to have their voice and, and, and their thoughts. And I think that's kind of what you're saying there. Like, it's not a healthy democracy. It's not a healthy society if you immediately label and dismiss very conveniently anyone who doesn't agree with the orthodoxy, the, the, the reigning, the, the establishment, essentially. I mean, it's 
it's really weird, I think, in this country how we don't have a media that questions that at all. Every other country, I read all the papers every day. I read the papers from the UK and all the papers from America. And the difference in the way this everything is reported is Stunning. Where? Uh, for example, in Britain and in America, what they're told, they aren't just, imme- it's not immediately accepting. Like, say, for example, if you read the Daily Mail yesterday, you'd see that the big story yesterday was an outrage about a curb on lib- liberties. They were, um, you know, I can't remember the outrage over Boris's vaccine pass. So B- Boris is saying maybe when, when you know, we've opened everything up, but but maybe we should come up with a, with a pass system for nightclubs. And um, there's outrage. There's like, re- there's, you know, there's mutiny in, in And in are you government. saying the reaction in that, 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 that kind of story in Ireland would have had a very passive reaction? It wouldn't be passive. It'd be supportive. supportive. They'd, be, they'd be saying, great, great. We can open indoor dining now and everybody who has a vaccine can mm. get in. Don't worry about that, that little option there that will stamp out discrimination if we allow people to come in with a, with a test. There was no, I don't think there was even one dissenting voice on, on that. But uh, two, apart from, can I just say yeah. two, two politicians who are important are Michael McNamara, yeah. who has been amazing and possibly the only voice on this, Padre Tobin, very good as well, mm-hmm. and the Irish Council for Civil, Li- Civil Liberties, but not so much in the media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but what, 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 what I, one of the things that, 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 that struck me about what you said there, which I thought was a very interesting um, uh, theory, it's a pub theory. It's a pub bar stool theory, which some of the most interesting are. Yeah. And uh, is the idea that Catholicism was replaced by public zealotry and Enfet being the high priests and all that. And I absolutely that, agree with that. And especially the infallibility thing. Mm. This idea that these people speak who cannot be wrong. Yeah. Which, which puts them in an immediate... Um, puts you behind the eight ball, basically. Yeah. You know, you're behind the eight ball with somebody who can't be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> Let's yeah. Face it, right? Well, that's a very dangerous position to be in. Like, for example, I was mentioning the antigen testing uh, there earlier on. Neffet uh, were actually kind of, they had a fringe view on that. That Internationally, that was an extremist, radical view to have testing. Oh, I understand testing. that. So every other country was saying, let's train our citizens into testing themselves so that they can take yep. control of their own personal health. And we we're saying, no, don't do that. It was Neffet versus the, versus the world yeah. on that. And one of the side effects of this kind of um, replacement theory, as you've, you've, you've kind of put it, mm. to paraphrase you, would be that um, the symptoms we demonstrate as a nation for almost pretty much zero protest, you know, down through the hundred or so years of our independence, very, very low levels of protest. Mm. You could count them off the top of your, you know, one finger. I, if I said to you great protests in the last 20 years, I'd probably go sort of a half decent one for the water rates. Water was a great one. And fairness. the old people's card getting taken away. Yeah, when and Joe, the farmers. When Joe Duffy, basically, um, you know, and, and old people who don't, and old people did it, you know why? They couldn't give a shit anymore. Yeah, good for them. Yeah, mm. fuck this. Well, they're the ones who tell you, by the way, that they're anti-lockdown more than anybody else. If you talk to older people, they're like, listen, you can't shut down. You only have a certain amount of time on earth. Don't be the generation that squanders your life uh, in pursuit of saving all lives. I mean, you know, it's negating lives in, in, in a kind of a vain pursuit. Just, just, I want to be fair to you about this, though, because I want you to get your, just finish this argument about the lockdown. I'll be devil's advocate for a moment. Go on, with go the, for it. No, but the obvious question. Oh, good. And that is, if you are anti-lockdown, yeah. let's just say we had gone uh, much more open, right? Yeah. 
What if I said to you, well, then, Larissa, many, many more people would have died. What yeah. do you say to that? What I would say is I wouldn't have gone from one extreme or to the other. What, what I think we failed to be in Ireland was proportionate. I thought we were disproportionate. Uh, other countries managed to have exactly, if not almost the same uh, rates uh, as we had um, without having to go completely, you know, hit the big hammer, on, on, on a nail on top of it. I would also say, Mario, that in, in the aftermath is only when we'll see the full picture here and the amount of harms and damage and deaths that this eventually causes on the other side because there, you know there, there are risk benefits to everything here nothing comes without risk yeah. so if you kind of squash down one thing it's going to burst out on another oh, side oh I understand what so you're we'll, saying so we'll, we'll see I don't think we can measure it no yet. you can't so here's one thing for you um, one of the, the one of the, the tenets of the Hippocratic Oath is do no harm mm. and the idea of do no harm is deliberately when, if you are in a position where you can deliberately help somebody help somebody and do no active harm yeah. so medicine will, t- will tell you um, you know we need lockdowns because if we don't lock- do lockdowns the virus will kill people that's what they're that's the logic of what they're saying mm. well it is the logic well it's not a lot of it's bureaucracy but but you know a lot of it is to okay. do with uh, like security theatre but it's not where my argument is going okay no fine well, I'll well, stop where my, no 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 where my <laughs> argument was going was the Hippocratic Oath or medicine or science has no interest in say, in, t- in talking about or wondering so what will happen due to the lockdowns Exactly. What will happen to people who shoot themselves through the head after gambling all night because they lost their job and they're up on a a gambling website and their family don't even know they've turned into a gambling addict? What will happen to the people who drink themselves to death, who opiate themselves to death? What will happen to the families who are destroyed, split up, the houses that are lost, the rent rent that can't be paid Mm. and the children in those families? Mm. What lives will be lost because of that? The science doesn't care about that. Yeah, but it should. They say that's for the government. They do, but they also forget that public health actually includes mental health and social health. That's the definition of it. So they should they should care about it yeah. because it's um, and there's also a thing called parity of esteem, where you know um, mental health is supposed to be equal to physical health in in that sphere. So I think they forgot about it, and they shouldn't have forgot about it under their own definition. Yeah, agreed. Okay. Anything else to say about that? I mean, um, about lockdown and. No, I mean, I can't, I'm trying to think, was there something? It, it hasn't worked. Sorry, that's what I will say. Mm-hmm. If you look at all the different countries, and for example, Sweden <clears throat> is a great example of it when you break it all down. and you do Very contentious example. So what, do you, <clears throat> yeah, what, but what have actually, you learned? What I've learned is that um, when you do the breakdown, and I haven't done it, a, a much more intelligent doctor than, than me called Martin Feely actually broke it down. You can look up Martin Feely's breakdown. Of he was it. the guy, he appeared on The Late Late Show and... He kind of then had to resign, didn't he? Or he resigned? Yeah, he, uh, because he, he was speaking out against mm. uh, policy. But Martin has a piece and it's up online somewhere there if people can have a look at it. And he explains exactly the different um, uh, policies and the different um, results. Mm. And essentially, Ireland comes out around the same as Sweden, if not actually Sweden coming out a little bit better. But even a better example of why lockdowns don't work is um, Ireland, which is still in a form of lockdown, is now on the red list of many countries as a you know a dangerous country for, to, to coming from travel from. Um, but if you look at uh, England, the latest data from England, which is opened up on its big triumphant freedom day, um, that's that cases are going down, 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 down. So in my view, lockdown does not work. And for that reason, that's why I don't support it in the long term. As I said, I would support it in the acute phase, but not in the chronic. And now it's time for a commercial break brought to you by our friends at Curry's PC World. Have you ever had a kitchen disaster and didn't know what to do? Well, Curry's PC World have got your back, just like this gentleman discovered when he tried his hand at cooking dinner for some very special guests and dignitaries. 
Oh, for God's sake. This thing is useless. Michael D., what are you doing? What does it look like I'm doing, woman? I'm cooking. Cooking for who? What? For who? For the king of Togo. The dignitaries. They're arriving this evening, the reception. But you've never even cooked so much as an egg in your life. Well, as indoor dining doesn't look as if it's going to happen for the next 50 years. I thought I'd learn. This blender is falling apart. That's not a blender. That's a coffee machine. What's this yoke? That, that's a food processor. You can't... It's about a hundred years old, woman. Oh, 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 it's on fire. The Rogan Josh. It's on fire. The cooker. Oh, Relax. the cooker's knackered. Sabina. Take it Sabine, easy. do something. Hello? Sabine. Is that Curry's PC World? Yes. I see you have a range of excellent kitchen appliances on sale at the moment. Sabine! Yes. It's Orison Uctron, Phoenix Park. May I give my compliments to the chef? Uh, yes, I am the chef, Your Highness. Oh, really? Yes, I prepared everything myself with my own hand. Yes. The Rogan Josh is absolutely incredible. Well, Michael D. has always been good with curries, haven't you, Michael D.? Really? Uh, yes, yes indeed, I have. <laughs> curries PC World. Kitchen appliances fit for a king. So you know what to do. When disaster strikes in your kitchen, get yourself down to Curry's PC World. Now, it's back to the chat. Um, one of the other things, uh, jumping subjects, Larissa, that you've always been really interesting on, and, and this is one of the main reasons I used to ask you to come on the radio show, and you were so enlightened and brilliant about this, albeit, in my view, commonsensical, was your whole view of um, this culture war between the left and the right. And uh, you've kind of written quite extensively about what you might call uh, the toxic left. Now, I'll ask you to explain if, from your point of view to the listeners what the toxic left might be. But really, the background to it would be this whole, um, for example, plethora of cancellations that have taken place in people in workplaces who've, who've sort of said certain things or people who've written certain things and people who've even been misquoted about things or they've heard somebody saying something and they're cancelled and nobody stands besi- behind them. They just let them get cancelled. And, and some of the people have done some things which are um, bad. Some of the people who have done some things are less bad. Some of the people have done some things which aren't bad at all. But all of those three groups of people get lumped into the same uh, group where you're just cancelled, for example. And that's just one aspect of the culture war. And you believe that some of this is coming from um, what you might call the toxic left. What is the toxic left? I'm not sure I've ever used that uh, expression, but um, it's an interesting one. I think I suppose what I would call it more would be the sort of self-righteous virtue signalling victimhood identity politics politically correct left. Is that a bit of a longer name? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe that uh, that kind of uh, thing. It's it's a, it's it's funny. I don't think it's actually anything to do with um, a political um, a political position. I think that's fake. I think that anybody who's really left yeah. or really liberal understands that liberal means accepting opinions and behaviours that are different to your own. That's the basis of it and that's the definition of it. So, you know, anyone I meet who's ever kind of truly left doesn't believe in any of this stuff. Um, it seemed to me to be some sort of medieval, um, a return of some sort of medieval uh, behaviour maybe sparked by social media and a new form of communication. And also enabled by victimhood culture that means that if you want to succeed, you portray yourself as a victim uh, and you'll be rewarded for that status. Or alternatively, if you can't portray yourself as a victim, which most people can if we dig deep enough anyway, um, you then you stand up for people who use. I'm standing up on behalf of victims. And then you can say whatever you want from behind that shield, because, you know, you're standing up. For you're victims. impenetrable. Yeah, you're uh, you've kind of put a shield of the shield of victimhood in front of yourself, whether it's you identifying as one subjectively or 
you standing up mm. for people. So I think that all seemed to kind of come together. And then it was like, you know, the Pharisees in the Bible. Yep. So that's what to me, this seems to me to be the most, um, um, the the best comparison. Um, like, you know, they were always the ones who like to take note of everything that everybody else did. And, um, you know, um, they watch out to make sure that other people are following the rules. But all they wanted themselves were to be the ones who, ma- who made it to the top at, at the worship ser- service. So it's kind of, it's sort of um, furthering yourself by pointing the fingers and shaming and blaming others. And the whole thing, the reason I was against it so strongly was, again, at the time, nobody was saying anything about it. So you would have this horrible culture that was really anti-mental health, actually, uh, going on, really bad for people to lump shame and point the fingers and make accusations, all that horrible nastiness. That can't be done in the name of, of good or can't be done in the name of, you know, liberal progress. But at the time, um, the three pillars of propaganda being big business, uh, politics and media, were all supporting it. You know, if somebody came out and was cancelled, they were all over the paper. And if somebody made an accusation against somebody else, often with no evidence whatsoever, that person was shamed all over the paper. And it's that suits media sales and it suits politicians mm. to say this is terrible and yeah we shouldn't say things like this and the, there are consequences for everything mm. and you know it suits politicians and it suits big business and when I mean big business I suppose I'm talking about big tech who thrive on all that sort of fighting in the social media sphere and it makes them feel powerful so I think all those things came together it, in the last year or two you'll see a million columns on people saying isn't cancel culture terrible by often the very people who said absolutely nothing uh, while it was building up and being allowed to go on. I really think that we have let this happen, you know, as a society, which is really sad because the people who engage in this, I think, are a tiny percentage, but a very loud percentage of the, po- yeah. of the population. And that's we've, we've that's true. Where has it come from, though? I'm f- this is something I've been wrestling in my own mind with for six, maybe five or six years. Mm. Where is it coming from? I mean, I do see where you, what you're saying there. That's an interesting way of looking at it, that it's propagated by kind of uh, large media and politicians who fall into line about it. Because of votes. Mm. And there's a kind of a, a herd, a kind of a fake herd mentality, kind of a, an, a, a, a kind of a silent minority. An, a, yeah. A, a silent minority but, who's driving the agenda. But where is it kind of coming from? Is there, it's a more difficult question to ask. So, for example... You 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 enjoy reading Jordan Peterson, mm. right? So interesting way he has of putting it, and I'm not sure if I'm going to get it exactly right. So yeah. you might as well help me. And that is that there are a group of thinkers like Jordan Peterson, and I don't know if I believe them or not, but they certainly kind of put it out there that this whole thing has its root in academic institutions, principally on the west and east coast of America, mm-hmm. in the um, in the liberal arts domain. Absolutely. Is there, and that's kind of where I go, I've run out of ammunition. Could you help me there and just explain or if you believe that theory or if it's a theory that has any credence? And if so, why? It's a fact. Um, that's exactly where it comes from. And I was surprised to find this out myself. I didn't know, in fact, that Jordan Peterson had addressed that to any great degree. But um, yeah, I found this out. I read a book uh, called, I think it's called Women Versus Feminism. I'll have to find out the name of it. But the writer is called um, Christina Hoff Summers. So I found this book anyway. Um, uh, 
um, I, I, actually I think I have the name of it wrong anyway we have the name of the writer right which is the main thing um, so she wrote this book in the 90s and it's it's written in the 90s and set in the 90s and you can see that all this stuff started coming about in in the academic in the academic world and they were all very much on the fringes of the academic world um, and it's, it, it goes back into um, what I think is called Marcusean theory which is that you know this kind of speech is violence and um, all this kind of all these kind of theories, these people must be punished and any kind of level of punishment is acceptable for anybody who is deemed to be the oppressor. They must be punished and the oppressed must do whatever it takes to do that. So it's, it kind of comes from that. So there was a lot of, I think the Marcusean theory stuff came up in the 60s and then you had all these academics then coming into place. But quite a lot of it actually start with, with, uh, started with feminist academia. And then they realised, you know, if you could turn around and say, Oh, we need more money for this because, you know, we need more women. Oh, no, women, we have to do that. They, they'd, be, they'd get money. There became an industry in it, essentially. And it moved out of the colleges then and then into, into the real world. How it made such a successful um, transition is the amazing thing. But again, I think it comes back to that culture of victimhood that we, that we um, kind of cultivated over the last, uh, particularly probably... 10 or 20 years. So I think all those things kind of came together. Yeah, no, I'm making a face at you because it's just so, it's mind boggling like. And I, I don't want to, I probably don't, don't want to go too deeply into it. We'll probably, some, it's for another type of Well, I've just remembered the, the name of the book and it's mm. called Who Stole Feminism? Sorry, the other right. one was a different title that I read um, uh, by, by another writer. So Who Stole Feminism by Christina Hoff Summers. Mm. It is mind blowing. And the uh, what she calls the noble lies, you know, surveys where kind of certain information was picked out or presented in a certain way or, you know, um, completely wrong was, oh, look, this is happening. We have to do this in response to that. And so money gets thrown at it because politicians come in and say, I want to be seen to be backing this really important cause. Mm. And yeah, the, the whole thing just comes together. But it definitely started from what I can see in the 90s. Um, in, in American academia. Hmm. So it's coming from the elites and it's actually the elites who support all this kind of uh, political correctness, um, you know, sort of uber political correctness. There's, I think it's called More in Common. There's a study done um, called More in Common where they looked at this and the, they call it um, the, 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 I think they call them the frustrated majority are the, are the people in the middle, none of whom agree with any of this. And then you have about... I think 5% on one side and who who are absolutely, you know, mad gung-ho for cancelling everybody and a, a new a new revolutionary life where nobody's allowed to say anything, you know, in the name of good, like all the best crusaders. And then you have another 5% on the other side who are like extreme right-wingers. But most of the people in the middle are sick and tired of this and want to see an end to it. But because they've been very loud, because I suppose social media has given this minority such an amplified voice, I think for a long time you'd see people saying, you know, is the country being run by Twitter? You know, when there's like a sudden law brought in, something happens on Twitter, laws are brought in, politicians stand up. I think what's happening is they've been listening to that that um, that small minority voice for too long. And it turns into what the writer Lionel Shriver, you know, Lionel Shriver, who wrote, we need to talk about Kevin, mm. a great writer. She called it the tyranny of the minority. So we're actually in, it's not the tyranny, tyranny of, of the majority at the moment, it's the tyranny of the minority. Mm. Um, I think it's an incredible shame that we're living in an era that those small, radical, unkind people who have malicious natures or are wrongheaded at best are getting to rule what, how the rest of us live. Do you believe 
you often talk to people about this. People often talk about this with each other and they go, always, there's always one person in the side of the argument who may have perfect common sense and go, yeah, don't worry. It'll all shift in a while. The pendulum will swim back. <laughs> I say, sorry, are you all, we're, we're going to be like carry-on merchants from a 1960s film going, ooh, look at the, look at the knockers on her. Ooh, he's a big black fella. And <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be, yeah. I don't know if that's what they meant, but do you think a kind of a cultural pendulum does... Uh, does shift yeah you know so many people have said that to me I remember when it was first said to me before it became a cliche uh, I remember thinking oh that's really comforting and you know and in a way um, that kind of goes in line with you know um, uh, the, the reasonable man the vital understrapper of the tyrant you know the person who doesn't say anything oh it's grand it'll all work itself out they're kind of part of the problem as well mm. because they're just saying ah sure look at you know collateral damage along the way sure you know what can you do that's mm. the way life goes maybe they're right maybe um, I'm idealistic and maybe they're being more pragmatic I'd like to think it's true. I think certainly at this stage, uh, a lot of people's eyes have been opened to a lot of tricks that were maybe being pulled on them. You know, um, maybe people would see something happening and it's a good, a good minded person might say, you know, oh, God, yeah, but sure, isn't that terrible? And, you know, maybe sure, maybe. And then you kind of look into it and you go, hmm, all's not as a scene there. A lot of the time it's just for personal progress or, you know, uh, some way to bring yourself on. Yeah. In the meantime, all over the world and in Ireland as well. Certain people get what we might call cancelled. They can be from any walk of society. They Mm. could be an employee who you've never heard of who said something um, which might be, uh, you know, racist. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they get they get dismissed from their job. And, you know, I mean, there isn't I have no time for racism at all. Mm. So but then it can it can straddle the kind of the whole spectrum of things. So. Somebody does something or says something and you go, oh, what was that all about? And then it's interpreted as, oh, that person should be cancelled. And, and for example, as we go on, certain people in the public eye get cancelled as well. And so without naming any names, um, recently, for example, because we don't have to mention the name, but mm. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you who I'm talking about in, in, in a way. So recently, a kind of a, a rugby journalist in Ireland uh, got uh, totally cancelled there, right? Yeah. And it was about a, a comment they made, um, which was about uh, a Lions uh, player, right? Now, I'm not going to get into the ups and downs or the rights and wrongs of why that person was relieved of their duties in, mm-hmm. a, in a national newspaper. That's for maybe another argument. What One of the aspects I found very interesting about it, though, um, was that this man who was, who is cancelled, and like, like it's, it, if, if ever you want a definition of a cancellation, this person has been cancelled. Yeah. Immediately after the person was cancelled, there was absolutely no mention of this person's name in the national newspaper that they had written for 30 years the next week. Similarly, there was no mention of that person's name in the most in the biggest competing newspaper. This Mm. was the Sunday Times and the Sunday Independent. Yeah. And there was no mention of that person's name in the other newspaper when everybody was talking about it. Everybody was talking about this. Did you hear your man has been cancelled? So it's like silencing around cancelling. It's silencing around cancelling. And Uh. this is what I find very chilling. Yeah. And the reason I find it very chilling is if there's silence around cancelling is one thing. Yeah. Somebody to be cancelled. Yeah. Blackballed is an old expression that we used to use. Yeah, but blackballed doesn't. uh, That's only temporary. Cancelling is is permanent. Cancelling is permanent. Mm. So somebody being cancelled is one thing. Mm. It's kind of like the crucible or whatever. Right. You know, Arthur Miller. But cancelling and nobody else to be allowed talk about the cancelling is a very chilling and kind of developing uh, aspect of yeah, it. Uh, yeah, that's true. Which means, if you, if you look at it, the, the corollary of that, it means that in the future, it's possible to cancel somebody based on very spurious mm. um, evidence, mm-hmm. knowing that there will be no inquisition or chat about the cancelling afterwards. 
Yeah. Making the cancellation itself easier to achieve. Yeah, but see, it doesn't solve anything. This is the whole thing. It's a bit like what I was saying about the lockdowns. The, 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 surely the whole idea of progress and fairness is solutions and, and finding ways forward. Like you were saying there about racism, and similarly to you, it's the ugliest thing in the world as far as I'm concerned. It, internally, it makes me rage. Mm. However, um, me going and saying, oh, such and such said something that can be construed in that way and therefore he must be shut down forever. I'm not going to change that guy's mind ever. Surely the idea is to to change minds and to, to bring people forward. Um, you know, like Martin Luther King um, uh, has a had a, a, a kind of a sidekick who was on, um, um, he was on one of the American talk shows recently and he was talking about, um, and I'd love to remember his second name, but his first name is Andrew. Anyway, I'll probably think of a second name in a minute, but he's an older man, very much older man now. And I think the interviewer was trying to getting to give out about Trump supporters and saying, oh, aren't they all racist and Trump's racist and everything? And he went, well, you don't help an alcoholic by calling them a drunk. And I thought, wow, like Martin Luther King is my lifetime mm. hero. He's he, my inspiration on, on so many different levels, even just in the way that he had such success. He's a great model for, you know, getting to where you want to be and winning, you know, winning in activism. And yeah. he would never have ever supported that way of operating because that just shuts down the argument. It means you don't get to talk to people. It means that their their ideas just get further ingrained as opposed to being lifted up and taken out. So, I mean, for me, the main problem of it all is, um, of course, like I'm... <laughs> The the, the 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 justice issue there in people just getting thrown out with uh, out any process is is horrendous. But really, it's I think it's actually setting back um, attitudes as opposed to bringing them forward, and that's the main issue. Great, Larissa, I love talking to you. <laughs> uh, are you prepared to take a couple of calls? Yeah, great, because we have a group of people who <laughs> listen in when I'm doing the podcast. All right. Oh well, it's a lot listeners of people. like listener. Yeah, well, yeah, no. listeners. Yeah, listeners. they're listeners, but they're usually well known. So we oh, can't. Right, we usually okay. have a um, we have a what do you call them <laughs> a, a bank of listeners. Yeah. So, for example, for you, we would have sent out the tweet around the community, okay, to the silent majority <laughs> minority, yeah. and we would have said, "Lyris is going to be on my podcast," and they say, "Okay, I'll listen into that." Yet, would you be prepared to ask her a question or comment? And uh, they said, "No problem at all." So they've all been listening in. Great, so, I'm open to hearing from them. Yeah. So actually, first of all, I think we have from the Irish Times, Fintan O'Toole actually is on the line. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to say hello to him? Yeah, hello, Fintan. Hi, and a very good uh, afternoon to you, Larissa. I've been listening to your conversation. This is Fintan O'Toole, by the way, of the Irish Times. I've been listening to your conversation with great interest. And um, first things first, the pronunciation is nihilism. (laughs) Nihilism. Not nihilism. And not nihilism. It's nihilism. So just say after me, nih. 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 Nihilism. 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 Okay. I've got it. Okay. Now, the next thing I wanted to ask you is, um, Larissa, what am I, as one of the mainstream columnists in the Irish Times, what am I doing wrong, in your view? Please help me. Fintan, obviously the answer to that is nothing. But is this one of those conversations where you're going to go behind my pint to one of your fancy restaurants and say, (laughs) you know, do you really think... For example, would you read me? I'm pronouncing that correctly. Would I? Would, yeah. Would, no. See, what, what am I doing wrong, <laughs> Larissa Nolan, of, of the Sunday Independent? I don't know, Fintan, because you win the same award every single year to the point it's now called the Fintan no, 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 Award. No, 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 that's, so you're doing pretty well. No, 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 that, that's just, in, just disingenuous of you to say, because you're the popular columnist of the year. Mona would say the populist columnist <laughs> of the year. So, 
I'm not so sure. Maybe sometime we can meet in the middle. Well, I'll start reading your columns and we can start from there, I suppose. Okay. Thank you very much. Enjoy the conversation. Great. Thanks, Fenton. He's great. I love Fenton. I, I read a lot of Fenton. Um, I used to. I think. Then well, he started writing the same column every week. Interesting. I think he's. I should have said honestly, that. To I swear, him. I'm a big fan, actually. And I, and I, I would say, he, I, sometimes I read his column and I go, you have a big brain. Do you not think? Um, I think he maybe w- would be nice if he was a little less safe because I think mm. he has potential mm. and he's a nice style of writer. He is, yeah. I think he's. I think he's a good. A and really there is a reason guy. he wins the broadsheet columnist of the year every year. Yeah, I think he's a brilliant writer, but I think he would be different from you in terms in in politics. Oh, polar. <laughs> but I love you both. Opposite. But I love you both. Well, actually, I met Finton once. In fairness to yeah. him, and he said to me, uh, which a lot of people do, which is funny. He said, um, "You know, I I love your columns. I I don't agree with a lot of them, but I love them." See, that's what I like about him. Yeah, no, it's great. I, mm. I do find it funny that people need to tell me they don't agree with a lot of them. I'm not expecting them to. It's not. It's not a. Pre- <laughs> <laughs> don't be a bitch. It's not a prerequisite. Uh, Jesus Christ! Yeah. I thought it was nice that he said, "I don't agree with them, but I like <laughs> them." Actually, I do a good impression of Finton or two. Yeah. It's it's too good. Um. Jesus, Owen Harris is on the line. He'd love to say hello. <laughs> say hello. Owen, so long since I see you. How's it going? Just stop talking there for a second. Would you agree, Larissa Nolan, that you are nothing more than a Sinn Féin shill? Totally. You, look, you, you, no, 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 hang on. You have no, no sympathy for the loyalists whatsoever, the unionist position. You never have. You practically should appear with a balaclava on your byline. Why don't you wear a balaclava on your byline? I will start wearing it. Answer the question. <laughs> I don't know. Are you a Sinn Féin shill? <laughs> <laughs> Owen Owen uh, I'm taking section 31 on that <laughs> Fair enough You're a very attractive woman though <laughs> You're not bad yourself Shit I've just been cancelled <laughs> Thanks Owen <laughs> Blind Boy Boat Club is on the line <laughs> No <laughs> He seems to be followed around by that music Say hello to Blind Boy Hello, blind boy. Hello, Larissa, Donna, Nolan. <laughs> this is Blind Boy Bot Club. Larissa, I love the way you straddle Irish society. <laughs> you remind me of a flamingo <laughs> standing on an electric telephone wire. One touch of the flamingo's foot on the ground could result in immediate incineration. <laughs> but you always, always get away with it. How do you feel about straddling? In general? The, the role you play in Irish life. Oh, in that context? Yes. I'm glad you've um, you're you've, you're fair enough to uh, acknowledge that. Great. Any chance you slip on an old plastic bag? Any <laughs> <laughs> stage? There might be yet. Oh, great. Give it time. Let's meet in the middle and straddle together. Thank you, Larissa. Most invigorating. Heideggeresque, Nietzschean, Platonic, Descartian conversation. Thanks, blind boy. He's a real regular contributor. 
to this show. He, this he, show. he calls into he called into Brezzy a couple of weeks ago. Really? Yeah, he called into Brezzy. Oh, oh, I, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, oh, like as in calling. He doesn't. He doesn't he, be. Yeah. No, he called yeah, in. I, I he saw, was on I, the phone to Brezzy a couple I, of weeks I, ago. I, I, I heard that. Brezzy really heard enjoyed talking amazing. to him. He, I love the way he just came out with the truth in that Brezzy one. You know. It's amazing. He, well, he's a, he's, for me. it's like as if he's free to be himself on my podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the real blind boy. Ah, that's great. Larissa, listen, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, and uh, I talked to you about everything I could talk to you about for the moment there. And uh, we leave it there. And for those of you out there, Larissa is a fantastic columnist. Um, her columns are really well researched. She, she, she looks at the opposite side of her own opinion, of her own opinion. She tries it against her own and she tries to come um, to a conclusion in her columns she's really really hard working and I admire hard workers so thanks Larissa thanks Mario always a fantastic guest and delighted that Larissa could join me hope you enjoyed it any thoughts or comments please mail me mariorosenstock at gmail.com I read them all and I'm going to get back to them all very soon if I haven't got back to you already Thanks for listening, MarioRosenstock at gmail.com. You can also hit me up at Twitter. I'm at GiftGrubMario on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, Mario Rosenstock. Um, remember to rate and review our podcast. That really uh, generates uh, loads of activity around the podcast, and it really does help. So um, you think you're just one person, but it actually does help. Um, also, make, make sure to check out the Connor Moore episode that I promoted at the top of the show. Uh, that went out a few weeks ago. And all the other episodes featuring people like Ronan O'Gara and George Hook. Um, and Ray Darcy and Duran Garrahi and uh, lots and lots more let us know what you think thanks to Curry's PC World for their ongoing support but mainly thanks to you for listening and thanks for mentioning it to me on the street as well when I meet you it seems that lots and lots of people out there are tuning into this podcast and listening through to it as well which is great um, thanks very much our next episode features the great uh, musician journalist and uh, radio presenter Tom Dunn he has great stories Make sure to check that one out. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye.